five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hey everyone, this is another short teaching episode. Similar to the one we had a couple of months ago when I was talking about which business models exist in space in episode number 34 and about Starship in episode number 43. Today, we will talk about space stations. As usual, though, here are a couple of messages from our sponsors, then I'll be right back. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Okay, so why are we talking about space stations? This is actually inspired by recent events. We had not one, but two recent announcements about planned new space stations. First, on the 21st of October, Lockheed Martin, NanoRex, and the NanoRex parent company, Voyager Space Holdings, announced a station called Starlab. Then only four days later, during the International Astronautical Congress, or IAC in Dubai, Blue Origin, Sierra Nevada, and Boeing announced the Orbital Reef. But that brings up the first question. Why all these announcements now? Have a number of company executives just discovered that Star Trek Deep Space Nine is on Netflix and they got expired? Well, we'll come back to Deep Space Nine, one of my favorites, but the reason is likely relatively more mundane, but still exciting. The likely reason is something called CLD. NASA, specifically NASA's Human Exploration and Operations Mission Directorate, has something called the Commercial LEO Destinations Program, or abbreviated CLD, which was announced in March of 2021. Let me quote directly from the CLD. The purpose of CLD is to stimulate U.S. private industry development of free-flying orbital destination capabilities and create a market environment in which commercial LEO destination services are available to both government and private sector customers. That sounds like space stations, right? Now, importantly, Uncle Sam is making funding available. It's not fully appropriated yet, I think, but the anticipated amount is up to $400 million spread over the years 2022 to 2025. And that amount will be awarded to two up to four proposals. Those proposals were due end of August, so pretty recently. And I think that may explain the timing of the recent announcement. By the way, the expected timeline is that we should know who got awarded so-called Space Act agreements sometime during the first quarter of 2022 and maybe even sooner. But CLD is really just the latest iteration of NASA transitioning activities it previously conducted itself to the private sector, just like it is doing in other programs like COTS, CRS, CCP, or CLIPS. The way NASA is providing an orbital destination capability right now itself is, of course, via being one of the partners, the four partners, agency partners in the International Space Station, or ISS. So let's now quickly review space station proposals, and it makes sense to start with the ISS. Well, actually, for completeness, the ISS is not the first space station. There have been several space stations before, namely the Soviet Salyut, Almas, 
Mir, the American Skylab, and the Chinese Tiangong-1 and two stations, but onto the ISS. But the ISS is the largest man-made object in space with pressurized volume of over 915 cubic meters in various modules and habitable volume of less than 400 cubic meters. The difference here being that some of the pressurized volume is obviously occupied by equipment. The ISS orbits the Earth about every one and a half hours, and it orbits at just over 400 kilometers of altitude. It has now been continuously crewed since the end of the year 2000. It can be described as a research laboratory of its several space tourists have visited the ISS in the past. And this type of space tourism activity will actually shortly start again with the Axiom AX-1 mission, which is planned for early 2022. In line with this conception as a government research lab, it's not exactly a luxurious place. It's a functional place. There are two bathrooms and you can read multiple reports by astronauts, including private astronauts, how the experiences of using one of those bathrooms in microgravity. And there are no showers. Your bodily fluids are recycled by the life support system. So the ISS mission, importantly, it's slowly edging towards its end. It's currently expected around 2030 at the latest. And this depends on a number of um, factors in the end, including agreement among the four agencies that are involved in operating the station. But the point being, it will end in the relatively near future. And that's clearly one reason that the US government wants to ensure there's a continued presence in low Earth orbit and hence the CLD program. Before we talk about the proposed private space stations, we need to mention that since earlier this year, there's the Tiangong or Heavenly Palace Chinese space station. Like the ISS, it orbits at around 400 kilometers altitude. It will have pressurized habitable volume of around 110 cubic meters when it's complete. The core Tianghe module was launched this year and is already being used by astronauts. And two lab modules, Wenxian and Mengxian, and I probably butchered that pronunciation, are expected to be launched in 2022. Now let's talk about the private stations. Let's start with Axiom Space, an American space startup that is working, among other things, on the Axiom space station. Before they may ultimately become a real free-flying space station, two Axiom modules are planned to be docked to the ISS as early as the second half of 2024. NASA approved this in January 2020, and it was basically the outgrowth of a previous pre-CLD program called Next Step. The company Axiom said this would double the habitable volume of the current ISS. Each module is expected to accommodate up to four crew, and the interior of the module is being designed by the famous French designer Philippe Stark. And I encourage you to go to Axiom's site and check out the rendering. It's really quite cool. It looks much more like what you would expect accommodation to look like for space, tourism's, uh, space tourists that are already paying Axiom $55 million to fly to the current ISS. In any event, as I mentioned, ultimately the modules are expected to detach from the ISS and become their own free-flying space station adding on further modules. Unsurprisingly, Axiom also appears on the list of interested parties for the CLD program. This is very much a serious venture. Axiom's CEO, Michael Sufugini, was NASA's ISS program manager from 2005 to 2015. And the company has already raised hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. And its modules are already being built by the European company, Talos Alenia Space, who have lots of relevant expertise in doing this type of thing. Okay, next up is Starlab, the first of the recent announcements. As discussed, this is a collaboration between Nanorax, its parent company Voyager Space, which is a diversified space, space holding company widely expected to IPO in 2022, and Lockheed Martin. Nanorax is the lead. Voyager will deal with things like overall strategy and funding, and Lockheed will be the integrator. Starlab will be a free flyer. It's, uh, it will not be docked to the ISS. 
and it will consist of a service module for things like power and propulsion, as well as an inflatable habitat module with pressurized volume of 340 cubic meters, capable of hosting up to four crew. They want to have it operational as early as 2027 in time to help replace the ISS. By the way, it will be deployed in a single launch, or at least that's the plan. Starlab will house what they call the George Washington Carver Science Park, consisting of a biology lab, a plant habitation lab, physical science and material research lab, and an open workbench. Area. On to the second announcement, Orbital Reef, announced just a few days after Starlab. Orbital Reef is led by Blue Origin and Sierra Space, while also including Boeing, Redwire Space, Genesis Engineering Solutions, and even the Arizona State University, each of those focused on certain tasks. There will be a core module done by Blue Origin, inflatable habitat modules by Sierra Space, and science modules by Boeing. At the International Astronautical Congress, when Orbital Reef was announced, I had a chance to take a virtual reality tour of the core module with one habitat and one science module attached. It was really quite cool. And the core module has a series of, of large windows to, to view the Earth or view space. And that baseline configuration of one science and one habitat module and then the main module, that almost has as much volume as the ISS and it could accommodate up to 10 crew. Note that two of the companies involved come with their own proposed vehicles to travel to and from Orbital Reef, Boeing with the Starliner capsule and Sierra Space with its Dream Chaser space plane. Similar to how Startup is pitching its science park, Orbital Reef says it intends to operate what they call a mixed-use business park in space. The timeline should be similar as for Startup. They want to be operational, I guess, in the second half of the 2020s, just in time to allow an orderly transition from the ISS. One last yet very timely note on this, while I was writing the script for today's episode, Sierra Space announced a $1.4 billion fundraise. So investors are clearly happy to put money behind their vision, which now prominently includes Orbital Reef. Okay, you may have noticed both Starlab and Orbital Reef propose to use inflatable modules. On that note, we should open parentheses to give a shout out to a company called Bigelow Aerospace. And they had been proposing inflatable space station modules for a long time, having purchased relevant patents from an, a NASA project that was canceled. The Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, or abbreviated BEAM, has actually been attached to the ISS since 2016 and is being used as storage space. Now, Bigelow had much grander plans, including for a number of large free-flying space stations, but the company abruptly halted up operations in early 2020 and laid off all its staff. Okay, closing the parentheses on Bigelow. So are there any other space station projects? Well, yes, almost certainly, probably at least a few. As at the time of recording this, the publicly available interested parties list for the CLD program lists over 50 companies. And this includes the major companies we already mentioned, like Blue Origin and, and Sierra and Lockheed and so forth, a number of startups, as well as a number of big, very well-equipped and well-financed corporations, including even SpaceX. And speaking of SpaceX, even though we haven't heard anything official, I wonder what the possibilities will be to simply use adapted starships as de facto space stations. Okay, what could be the longer-term future of space stations? Well, first of all, the current proposals are very much like, you know, what you could compare to Antarctic research stations or maybe oil rigs. They're artificial structures for very specific purposes. The people who will visit there will only do so temporarily for a limited amount of time, just like the researchers in those Antarctic research stations or the workers on those oil rigs. On the other end of the spectrum, of course, you could imagine stations where people may stay for much longer periods or even permanently live. And that would 
likely require creature comforts like, I guess at a minimum, real showers, and very likely also artificial gravity in order to avoid the debilitating effects that microgravity has on the human body, something we know well from astronauts who spend time on the ISS. Would also likely involve elements of a society like commerce and culture for you to want to spend time there. In short, you would have something that's much closer to those large space stations depicted in science fiction. And by now you all know how much I love science fiction. Space stations like, again, Star Trek's Deep Space Nine or The Expanse's Tycho Station. Or like the space stations proposed by Gerard O'Neill in his book, The High Frontier, a book I highly recommend. Jeff Bezos, by the way, is known to be a fan of O'Neill or O'Neillian as they're sometimes called. So it was always expected, I think, that Blue Origin would get involved with space stations. In any event, irrespective of those future grander stations, it looks like the smaller stations will become a reality in this decade. And even that will already mean many more platforms and much more habitable volume in space. And that is the note I'd like to close on. If you're an aspiring space entrepreneur, what could and would you do with those new platforms and the facilities they offer? Use cases include research and experimentation, testing, crew training, tourism, manufacturing, and maybe others that we don't imagine yet. Wearing my main hat as a seed stage space venture investor, I'll say if you have a good idea, work on it and send it to me. That's it for today. Hopefully it was interesting and even more so, I hope it may have gotten some of you thinking. See you next time. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, Check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.